Welcome to Finally Fearless, a podcast devoted to uncovering everything you never knew you needed to know when it comes down to your health and wellness. My name is Dr. Melissa Chofi, a physical therapist specializing in pelvic health. After working in traditional healthcare for four years, I grew disenchanted with the gimmicks and the garbage, scare tactics and scarcity mindset, and all the things that were being pushed on people to make them fear their bodies instead of actually using them to live the lives that they so deserve. This podcast will give you all the tools to demand a life worth living instead of sitting your best days out on the sidelines. We get really raw around here, so grab your headphones and let's jump right into today's episode. Okay, it's going to sound like I hate my physical therapy profession with this episode. So um, I just want to preface this by saying I love physical therapy as an alternative form of treatment. So it's non-invasive. It helps avoid surgery when it's done well. It helps, helps avoid medication when it's done well. It helps avoid you thinking your body is like, turning to crap or failing you or breaking down when it's done well. Notice how I say when it's done well. The way the business model for a lot of physical therapy clinics is going is very unfortunate and why I escaped that model about two years ago. So I've been a therapist for six years at the time of this recording and I have owned my own practice for almost two years at this point. And there's a reason why I got out. And that is because rehab was failing a lot of people because a lot of these clinics are putting their profits over their patients. And it's very unfortunate. Throw insurance into the mix and it's a complete shit show out there. So today we're talking all about why rehab may have failed you instead of you failing rehab. I hate that terminology. That's what a lot of MDs will use. Like, well, if you fail rehab, then we'll give you, we'll do this for you and we'll give you this injection and we'll give you this surgery and you'll get this medication. And it's such a load of garbage because it puts this idea in your head before you even start that you're going to fail this. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then you probably will (laughs) fail therapy. And it's just, it's just a joke. So, um... That's what we're talking about today. So if you have been to physical therapy before and you're like, oh my God, what? why do people go here? It didn't help me. I needed to get surgery anyway. This episode is for you. So let's define some things first. When I say traditional clinic or in-network clinic, this means a clinic that takes insurance. It has contracts with insurance providers, Um, that's what I mean. And then when I say mill clinics, this is a clinic that basically has one physical therapist per like three to four people an hour, sometimes more, sometimes there's double booking, sometimes there's triple booking. And if you're not having that one-on-one undivided attention with your physical therapist and they're kind of like running between people or you see your physical therapist for five minutes and then you're working with a tech or an aide or whatever fancy term, term they make up, you're probably in a PT mill. This, they are so prevalent, especially if you see big chains, they're usually a mill. And I'm not gonna shit on all 
physical therapy clinics that run like this. But from my experience, the ones that are running like this suck and people do not get better. And there's a reason for that. And we'll get into that. So that's what I mean when I say mill. That's what I say when I say traditional clinic. And one more title I want to throw in there is a physical therapy assistant. This is very different from a physical therapy aid and you have to know your players. A physical therapy assistant or a PTA does have a degree in physical therapy. They work under a physical therapist's discretion. They are a skilled player in your recovery and your rehab. A physical therapy aid is not an assistant. They do not have a degree in physical therapy. They are not a skilled player. I don't care if they're in PT school, if they're going to PT school, they are not skilled. They have on-the-job training. They don't know contraindications. They don't know how to assess you. They don't know whether a certain exercise is right for you. They don't always necessarily know if you're doing an exercise correctly. So please know the difference between an aide and an assistant because people will get these mixed up and they give... This gives assistants, PTAs, physical therapy assistants, the skilled people, the people who have a degree in physical therapy, it gives them a really, really bad rep and PTAs are amazing and they help us incredibly. So you really know to know, need to know the definition between the two. First and foremost, physical therapy mills are the fucking bane of my existence and why I, if I did not open my own practice, I would have retired as a PT by now. I really would have because you, like I worked in traditional clinics for four years of my career, the first four years of my career and I burned out and I was like, I really sat down with myself and I was like, do I want to continue like this? Because either I was going to burn out or I was just going to be left dead and cold inside. And that sounds really dramatic, but it's so true. Because what happens in these mills is that you, as a PT, you're seeing multiple people an hour. Like my first job, I had up to eight people per hour at the same time. It's just not doable. So what happens is if you're one of those eight or one of those four or one of those three people... A, you're not getting the attention you need from your PT. So the fact that, and I can speak from experience, like the fact, A, you're either slipping through the cracks and your exercises are not being progressed timely and you're doing the same shit for like months at a time and you're like, what the hell? Like I could do this with my eyes closed and this happens. So if you've been to PT and you can do your program from memory, you're probably in a PT mill and you're probably not going to get better because load, when load exceeds capacity, this is where injury happens. So in order to prevent injury, we need to increase that load accordingly so that your tissues adapt, so that your um, joints adapt, so that your body adapts and that, and even your nervous system. They all need to adapt to that load so that you can prevent things like pulling your back out or having your sciatica act up or peeing your pants. (coughs) Excuse me. So if this isn't done, 
you're pretty much wasting your time. You're wasting your money if you have a copay. You're wasting your money if you're using gas to get there because you can easily just do this at home. So there's no point. <clears throat> the other point being the aid, if you have an aid with you the entire time watching you exercise, they don't know whether you need to progress something. Your physical therapist is the one who has the degree. If they're not watching you, how do they know how to progress you? And I fell into this trap a lot. Like I would be like, this person hasn't had their exercises changed in like three weeks. I need to change something, but I didn't see them do anything. So I would just write some exercise down on the paper as a progression. I don't know if that progression's right for them. So then I fell into the trap of like, okay, I know I gave this progression to John. I need to watch him do his exercises and I'm working on Mary at the same time. So my attention was not focused on one person and I don't care what anybody says, you cannot efficiently multitask and give the same effort and attention to each thing you're working on. You just can't. So I would have to stop treatment with Mary to make sure John looked good doing his new exercise, go back to Mary, and then I would run behind schedule and then I was freaking out and whatever, and then my brain is all over the place. So it, again, it's not fully invested in the patient who's in front of you. And you might have been that patient. You might have been in John's position. You might have been Mary's position. You've probably been in both of them. So this is a problem. And, and I don't know, like, I think part of it is greed. So a lot of these big box clinics, a lot of these chains, a lot of these big network clinics, they need to make a profit. They're a business, right? However, insurance reimbursement is going down every single year. So in order to keep the lights on, pay their staff, make a profit, they are packing in the patients at the same time. And this is why the business model sucks. And a lot of people get mad when I say this, but I feel like physical therapy should not be an insurance covered service. I don't because it's bastardizing the profession and we'll get more into why that is. But this is one of the reasons why. Because you're going there three days a week. You're seeing a PT for 15 minutes that week, total time, right? But you're not getting better because you're sharing that slot with three other people. And who knows if you're doing what you need to do. Horror story time. I had, um, when I was working in one of these clinics, the aide I was working with, I had like exercises written down on a, a, we call it like a flow sheet, we called it. And I was in a room, a private room with a new client and the aide was taking my current client through their exercises and the aide did not know what one of the exercises was. So he just made something up and the client did it and whatever. And afterward, the aide came to me and asked me after he had this man do the exercise what is this? And I showed it to him and he's like, oh, well, that's not what I did. And he showed me what he did. And the exercise he did was actually a contraindication to this man's shoulder surgery. So that's how bad it is. That's not the first time that's happened. It's not just happened to me. It's happened to colleagues of mine. And this is not meant to scare anybody, but it happens and you need to be aware of that.
You absolutely need to be aware of that because this is not okay. It's not okay for you. It's not okay to put this idea out there um, as a profession. Like, like I said, as a profession, I think it's a really awesome profession. I think we really improve the quality of life of a lot of people when this is done correctly and well and ethically. And it's just not happening in a lot of these places out there. Another way your insurance company limits you when going to one of these places or when using your insurance, people, I don't think people really understand how their insurance works. So people will be like, oh, well, I was clear, like my insurance pays for 60 visits a year. Okay, cool. Is that 60 visits per body part? Is that per injury? Do you get like a reinstatement of 60 visits if say, say you like your neck's bothering you and we treat you for 20 visits and then six months later you sprain your ankle? Is that going to like, you know what I mean? Is it going to restart the 60 visits or the 20 visits or whatever? So that's the first thing. So you have to know what your insurance covers. The second thing going off of that, your insurance company, and this happened so many times, say you come to me with knee pain so many times oh my god I'm like I'm thinking about this and cringing inside I had a doctor wrote a script for a new client when I was working in network and it said knee pain it turns out this client's pain was actually coming from her back she had crazy sciatica that was referring down to her knee and affecting her knee her knee would buckle. She had numbness and tingling, whatever. So I was trying to get in touch with the MD and be like, yo, you need to send me a new script saying this is for the back, blah, blah, blah. He refused. And like ethically, I have to treat what I see. So I treated the knee, but I had to also include the back. And the insurance company would be like, oh, you can't treat two body parts at the same time even though her knee pain was stemming from her back. So I was fighting with the MD, fighting with the insurance company. And in the meantime, this poor woman was caught in the middle because like she was getting denied because we were working on her sciatic nerve and her back. And like, I'm not going to be writing false notes and have my license in jeopardy because your insurance company can't get it together and that sounds very dismissive of me and I don't mean it to be that way but it's just that like I have a license to protect I have an ethical code to protect I'm not going to sit there and treat your knee when that's not the source of your pain excuse me so what happened was This woman decided to pay out of pocket instead of go through insurance. We treated her back. She got better. Her knee stopped hurting. So, and again, this is very insurance dependent. So your insurance company might overlook that or your insurance company might be dicks like this one and deny it. So there's a lot that goes into this. Another thing that happened when I was working in network was, so again, like, you're like, oh, my insurance covers 60 visits. When we bill the insurance company, it's not a per visit thing. 
I wish it was, it's not. There are codes within that visit. So there's like an exercise code, there's a manual treatment code. So like when we have our hands on you, that gets a code. An education code, essentially, when we're like are talking to you and giving you tips for home, that has a code. And certain insurance companies will not pay for certain codes, even though you need that and that would benefit you throughout your rehab process. So I had this woman, she had neck pain, she got, <clears throat> she needed manual therapy. Like she needed mobilization, she needed me to work on her muscles because that's where she got the most relief and then we got her to do things that she couldn't do under any other circumstances and she needed it. Like I went to school for seven years plus I know what the patient needs. This is what she needed. And her insurance company refused to pay for manual treatment. So again, it was either risk my license or don't give her manual. What the hell? Like now I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. So it's just garbage. Like these insurance carriers don't know what you need and they're actually limiting treatment in some cases. I'm sure in many cases actually. And this is possibly why rehab is failing you. You're not failing rehab. You're just not given what you need. And that could fall on the fault of the insurance company and it could fall fall on the fault of the clinic and the business model itself. The third thing, speaking of falling on the fault of the business and the PT, again, something I've seen A lot of these clinics and clinic directors and companies have insane scarcity mindset, meaning we treat everything. We treat everyone. And before I was a pelvic health practitioner, I can't even tell you how many times somebody would walk into the clinic with a referral for a pelvic floor evaluation and the director essentially would be like, just fib your way through it. Just make something up. Just rub her back and send her on her way. Stretch his hamstrings. Send him on his way. And I refused to do that. I am also a rebel at heart. I've always have been. I also don't let people bully me into doing things that I find are wrong. I also stand up for myself. And I never had the fear of getting fired. Never. And that sounds really egotistical, but it's the truth. I never had a fear of getting fired because I knew at the end of the day, there was no way this clinic was going to fire me for referring somebody out because they had a script that said pelvic floor, physical therapy, evaluation, and treatment. There was no way I could get fired for that. And if I did, I didn't give a shit because I didn't want to work there. Unfortunately, there are a lot of physical therapists who are afraid of getting fired and are afraid of backlash from their directors. So they would, and I've seen this, they would take those people with those scripts and they would just have them do Kegels while they squeeze the ball, have them do Kegels lying on the table, have them hold the Kegel, have them Kegel and bridge. It was insane. And... If you've been following my stuff and if you've been listening to this podcast, you will know that not everybody with a pelvic floor issue is appropriate for Kegels. Sometimes Kegels make it worse. I had a client who she came to me after six months with a supposed pelvic floor physical therapist and all this woman did was Kegels. 
She did not need Kegels. We had four weeks together of relaxation, which is the opposite of a Kegel, and she got better. She did not get better in six months. So again, like really know where you're going. These clinics that specialize in everything coupled with you being one of three or four people in that hour and having five minutes with your therapist. That's why rehab is failing you. You're not failing rehab. Rehab is failing you. When we take the shitty clinics with shitty insurance and put them together, we then have this problem of people getting what's called passive modalities because A, it frees up time for the physical therapist to write their shit ton of notes that they need to justify treatment to the insurance company so that the clinic gets paid. And also some of them can be billed <clears throat> depending on the insurance carrier. So like electric stim is one. Ultrasound is another one. Heat ice pack. I mean, I don't think you can get money for those, but it does free up time. It does allow people to pack in the patients. Illegal billing happens by counting that time where you're sitting on a hot pack with stim and they're counting that into your total visit time, even though you should not be billing like that. But people do bill like that because I don't know if it's like pressure from upper management. I don't know if it's ignorance, but it happens because again, I've seen it. So if that's the predominance of your treatment where you're either riding a bike or you're laying on stim, you're laying on heat, you're laying on ice, you're getting ultrasound. This is how rehab fails you because those are all what's called passive modalities. You're not doing anything active. You're not retraining your nervous system. You're not taking your body through a new range of motion. You're not conditioning your muscles. You're not conditioning your joints. You're not getting um, along with standing improvement in your range of motion. That's all what gets you better. Lying down and like accepting things might feel great in the short term. But in the long term, you're not going to get any better. You're not going to feel any better. And you will be in and out of that clinic or a chiro clinic if you're not supplementing with something active. And then I'm going to add to that with something active that makes sense for your condition. So like if I'm coming in because I tore my hamstring and I have heat and stim on my hamstring and then... Like I need to take advantage of that newly acquired change in tissue resilience, if that even happened, by <clears throat> taking my hamstring to that range of motion, strengthening my hamstring, building endurance in my hamstring. You know what I mean? So the thing that we're targeting passively, we then have to target actively to get any change. And this is where a lot of these old clinics especially and I'm not meaning to be ageist here but it just is what it is we call them dino PTs these PTs who are stuck in 1985 and do not follow the current research I don't know what's going on with my throat <coughs> excuse me I have like really bad allergies right now but um <coughs> excuse me <coughs> these dino PTs who that was interesting my sexy phlegm <laughs> 
Um, but these dino PTs who don't follow the research and or they don't give a shit about current research because this is what allows more people to be in their clinic and um, <clears throat> the whole thing. But this, like relying passively on all of this is what is keeping you stuck and why rehab is failing you as well. On the other side of that coin, if you're doing stuff in physical therapy and you're not leaving the table, so I saw this a lot too with people who come to me after they quote unquote failed PT, I'll be like, oh, well, what did you do in physical therapy before? And they're naming all these table exercises and I look at their home exercise program that they were given at the conclusion of their treatment and it's all stuff laying down. And I'm sitting there like, wait, did they do squatting with you, lunging, deadlifts, hip hinging? Like, granted, these aren't for everyone, but just like to name a few popular ones. And I'm like, did you ever get off the table and actually stand and do something? And they're like, no. And this is something, again, like, I don't know if it's an ignorance thing. I don't know if it's a laziness thing. Sometimes like when you are operating in a mill setting, it is easier to just have everybody on a table doing stuff because it's less people you have to oversee and you can just easily go from person to person. Um, but if your predominant exercise is being done lying down, what happens when you stand up? What happens when you go reach for something? What happens when you bend down to pick something up? And this is why people think physical therapy didn't work because they've never been instructed on how to do things that they encounter in their everyday life. And part of what we do as physical therapists is make you more resilient in your everyday life. So for me, it's important to me, I just had a consultation last week with this woman who was like, well, I know it's not really important, but I want to get back to running. I want to get back to riding my Peloton. I want to get back to doing this strength training program. And I'm like, all of that is important because that's what you do in your life. So that's what I want to get you back to. So if you're not doing things in positions that you're assuming and moving through every day, the likelihood that you're going to maintain progress is going to be really, really small. And um, a lot of colleagues come after me in saying that um, I'm going to make people worse or I'm going to make people throw their back out by doing some of these things. And in my six years of practice, I have yet to do that. Like people might feel sore. They might not feel the best, especially after we start something new. But at the end of the day, these people learn how to use their bodies in ways that they've never learned inside of a traditional physical therapy clinic. And that's not to blow smoke up my ass. That's just to say it is what it is because I actually will take my clients through things that they either are doing or want to get back to doing. And we grade that exposure to that activity accordingly. And then they eventually get back to doing that. So um, if your PT is having you lie down and is not watching you do things or is telling you to do things like stop exercising, stop running, stop weightlifting. It's one thing if they're like, hey, maybe you should take a break from CrossFit for now until we get you to stop peeing your pants. But if they're like, 
doing CrossFit is going to make your back hurt even more. So just stop doing CrossFit because it's going to ruin your body. There's a big difference. Do you understand the difference between them? So your physical therapist, if they're not helping you work up to doing something that you want to do or that you're unable to do or that you're having difficulty, discomfort, pain, everything in between with doing, then you're going to fail PT inevitably because you're not going to get better if you're not challenging your body in an unsupported position like standing, like moving, like walking, like lifting because you spent the entire duration of your treatment lying down on a table. I'm going to slip this in there too because this is something else I've seen. So if your physical therapist is kind of like writing you off because you're having pain with say certain exercises or whatever and they're just like, well, you just have to lose some weight. Uh, get the fuck out of there and run. Don't walk because that's a load of garbage. That's something else I saw a lot. Um, I've worked with some people who are in bigger bodies and I've never told them to lose weight and they have become pain-free just by being more active and using things and strengthening things and moving things and building endurance in their bodies and resilience in their bodies and they might have lost weight on the side but I didn't give a fuck because that's not my goal my goal is to get you to move better and there's ways to do that that don't focus on losing weight so um that I wanted to throw that in there because I also think that's really dismissive and it's actually doing the opposite of what we should be doing, which is encouraging exercise and helping you see how beneficial exercise alone can be in improving your quality of life and allowing you to live without pain, without leaking, without um, discomfort and everything. Like it has nothing to do with your weight. It has to do with how you're moving. Your weight could possibly be a byproduct of that, but it's not the cause of it. You know what I mean? So I wanted to throw that in there too because that's another reason why I hate working with people and (laughs) why I got out and I'm a solo practitioner. And if I ever hire anyone, um, I have to do like a thorough application slash interview to make sure they're on the same page because there's a lot of that garbage that floats around in rehab and another reason why rehab probably failed you. This doesn't really go with like rehab failing you because you might not have even gotten been given the chance to go to rehab and see if it worked for you. And what I'm talking about is the refusal of an MD to write you a script for physical therapy. So this is actually happens to me a lot. Um, as a pelvic floor physical therapist, there are not many of us out there. And some of these MDs, especially like urologists and OBGYNs will work for a big conglomerate and they have a physical therapy clinic attached to them. So like they're part of that network and they will refer to their own clinic. And sometimes because Again, MDs, even OBGYNs, even urologists, they don't understand what we do as pelvic floor PTs. They understand that you need like additional education, that we don't get this education in grad school. 
they think all physical therapy does the same stuff. So they'll just be like, oh, well, I want you to go to my clinic. And they don't have a pelvic floor PT on staff. Or they do, but that person's booked out for eight months. So they won't write a script for someone like me who's not part of a big conglomerate. And this happens a lot and it's it really grinds my gears and it makes me so angry. And um, at the end of the day, you have a right to go wherever you want. So um, demand that script because it's your health. It's your health care. You can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. And at the in the same breath, I do want to remind you all that there is this thing called direct access where depending on your state, you can see a physical therapist, a pelvic floor physical therapist, whoever, for a certain amount of time or a certain amount of visits before you need a script. And then the process of getting the script is usually a little bit easier depending on the MD, of course, but we have... Um, we have notes that we can send over if it's okay with you and then they just have to sign off on what's called the plan of care and that will work as your script so it's kind of like if you work with, so in New York for example um, direct access is either 10 visits or 30 days with me whatever comes first so um, I usually see my patients once a week so say after those 30 days I send the I'm like here Dr. Smith please sign off on Ellen's plan of care and that will serve as your script. So I'm now involved and usually like it's a quick signature because A, most of them don't read, but B, you've already established a, a plan of care with me. We've already been working together. So what's the doctor gonna tell you? No, you can't go to her anymore. You have to go to my place. Oh, by the way, all the progress you made in the last month you have to wait nine months now to get into my clinic. So it makes it a little bit easier. So that's just an aside. Um, but essentially, you can go wherever the fuck you want. It just takes money away from that MD's network, which they don't like. Again, healthcare in the US is a joke sometimes because it's all business, it's all profit driven. And I get the need to run a business. I run a business. So like, obviously I want to make a profit, but at the same time, I don't want to take advantage of people and be an unethical piece of shit, which is what's going on essentially in the medical world. And I hate it and is why I got out. (laughs) So um, just keep that in mind. Also, you can go wherever the hell you want. Um, Just make sure what you know your direct access laws in your state you can just google your state direct access physical therapy and see exactly what that means for you again this is not to shit on physical therapy as a profession like i said i can't imagine myself doing anything else um but i probably would have changed the course of my career if i was still working in a traditional model or for someone else because the way I treat right now and what I'm seeing as well as far as improvements go with my clients is vastly different than what I saw two years ago when I was working in a busier clinic that accepted insurance. I'm not saying one method is more correct than the other, but there is a shocking difference in patient outcomes, in patient autonomy, 
in patients who have an added quality of life because they do have my support. They're not seeing me five minutes, three times a week. They're seeing me one time a week for 30 to 90 minutes, depending on what they need. I am there in between sessions to ask questions. So I do think that that plays a huge part coupled with the fact that I don't give a fuck what your insurance company wants for you. This is what under my seven plus years of education, this is what is right for you and this is what we're gonna do. So um, I really just wanna drive home the fact that physical therapy is so nuanced. There are a million different ways to get to the same end result. Some are more efficient than others. So before you start thinking that we're all the same, we all treat the same, we all go about getting you better in the same manner. I want you to start thinking about if any of these things that I talked about today were what you experienced if you did quote unquote fail rehab. Because at the end of the day, you didn't fail rehab, rehab failed you. Because it's a failing business model, it doesn't work, and it makes people quali- people's quality of lives really, really suffer because if you quote unquote fail rehab, which is the most conservative option, then it's kind of like, well, what the fuck do I do now? I'm broken. I need surgery or medication or injections or whatever, which further debilitate your body and make you kind of like, it's really dramatic to say a prisoner of your own body, but that's what it is, right? You're relying on something that's not a long-term solution or a long-term fix because you are out of options and you just don't know where else to turn. So again, I will challenge you as well that if this sounds like you and something you've been through, maybe it it is a good time to check out an out-of-network PT who's actually well-versed in your issue and your challenges in life physically and can help you go about getting your damn life back because we do, excuse me, we do exist. It just takes a little digging to find us. So, um, I hope some of this resonated with you. I hope you do give physical therapy another chance if this is something you experienced. And um, if you have any questions about approaching that or what to do about that, please reach out to me and I will try to help you as best I can. Even if that's not me, if I can help you find a provider who is not me, I will be more than happy to offer that. So, um, Again, I just want to make sure everybody's well-informed. The healthcare model in this country is a fucking shit show. People do not get better. People, I don't know. It's just really, really maddening. But at the same time, it drives me to be really grateful for what I built with my practice and how I approach um, my clients and their problems and the public in general. So, (laughs) um, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Again, if you have any questions about any of this, please drop me a line. I would also really appreciate if you can take five seconds to write a review for me for this podcast episode. That's what really boosts, um, these, this podcast and gets the word out because I really feel that this message is something that a lot of people have to hear. Um, I don't want anybody to think that they're a failure inside their own body when it's not their fault. It's the fault of the system. So that would be really much appreciated. 
Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, and I will see you on the next episode of Finally Fearless.